Welcome to Money Talk with Tiff, a podcast where we discuss everything money from tips and tricks to current events. Follow me on my journey to become debt-free and meet other cool people along the way. I am your host, Tiffany Grant. Now let's talk money. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Money Talk with Tiff podcast. I am super excited about today because today I have someone coming to the airwaves all the way from Italy. We are international, y'all. <laughs> all right. Today, I have Isil Kim on the line, and she is a business executive turned storyteller who loves hunting for the unexpected. When she is not recording podcasts, Isil is working on her book, Business Love, Your MBA to Relationships, and photojournalism project, Humans of Treviso. So, hey, Isil, how are you? I am doing great. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, it's a little early here, but that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) These time differences are killing us. Right. (laughs) Anything for the show. No. (laughs) Exactly. For the love of podcasts. Right, right. At least we can do it in our pajamas, right? Uh Uh-huh. I mean, (laughs) I I got my fancy top on, but, you know, it's a party up here and then sleepover party down there. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I wanted to get into um, our topic today. So a lot of our money is emotional and a lot of our money is feelings. So I wanted to kind of highlight your story because it's a little different than mine, but I wanted to show people how that you know, affects your money even to this day. I've talked about it a lot on the podcast, but I think having different perspectives and different stories being told could possibly help someone else. So, um, you know, we talked a little bit before we got on and, you know, you said you grew up comfortable, right? So, you know, I imagine that, you know, you were able to get the things that you wanted and this, that, and the other. If you can just dive in a little bit to that for us. Yeah, absolutely. So I was born in Korea, but then we moved to Guam, which is this beautiful tropical island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, a territory of the United States. And my parents and my whole family on both sides, we are generations of business people. And so I watched my parents have a pretty successful um, entrepreneurial life. They owned um, a a car rental company. They had created the first uh, driving school in the history of Guam. It was kind of a monopoly at at the time. So you can imagine, right? Like we just had all the business uh, of driving schools. And then they would just like always experiment. They brought in the first cell phones into Guam back in the early 90s. And um, at one point, I remember they bought like a little stall uh, to sell magnets on the streets to Japanese tourists. (laughs) And they had me working there. Like that's how like entrepreneurial they were. Mm -hmm. And um, I just really loved watching both my parents work really hard. And because we had a Uh, we owned a bunch of cars for the rental car business. I remember going to school uh, in a different car every day and I would like show off to my friends. So like we had like 35 cars, obviously it's for the business, but all owned by my parents. And so, yeah, it was 
we would go traveling, you know, to the Philippines and my parents were part of the Lions Club, part of like high society. And what, I mean, there are a lot of Kims, <laughs> as you can imagine, like just Korean Americans, like half of us are Kims, but they were like the Mr. and Mrs. Kim of, of the island. And um, yeah, never worried about money, just idyllic childhood. And then one day, everything completely changed where there was a plane crash um, that killed actually a lot of people uh, in, in Guam in like I think the late 90s. And then there was the financial crisis in, in all of Asia, uh, the IMF crisis it was known. And so for an island that relied on tourism, everything just dried up completely. And it was a huge recession and my parents were overextended and we lost everything. Uh, we were supposed to go to school and I had gone to private school that cost like $30,000 for like kindergarten, right? Like this mm. is when I think that's a little absurd, but uh, couldn't afford it. And we weren't sure where I would go to school, you know, in two weeks. Um, and at that point we left uh, Guam to go move back with my, um, my grandparents in Korea. And it was a shocking, it was a culture shock, even though I'm Korean, I didn't look Korean, I didn't speak Korean. Um, we really didn't have much of our stuff because we left kind of in a hurry. And then um, I started working at the age of 12 to help support my family. Uh, I started teaching English to the kids in these apartment complex near us. My mom put up the flyers and after school, I was teaching from like three o'clock to six o'clock every single day. And I probably at one point had around 15 students. Hmm. So imagine like a fifth grader <laughs> who like spoke English, but now it's, it's a different thing when you know English and then you have to teach it. Right. Right. And that was, and, and then to Korean kids where I didn't even speak Korean very well. And I had kids from age three to like 18. Yeah. So it's like, how, how do you learn how to do this? And, um, and I think that's when I realized, wow, like a lot of responsibility for my family. I understood the value of money then. Like I knew how much money I was making and I knew exactly where that was going, which was to basic necessities, like helping out with rent and my school fees. And so I didn't see it as traumatic at the time, but man, after years of therapy, I'm like, wow, like. I would not want my children, and I hope, and I know so many people go through this, even at such a young age, to have that sense of responsibility. And so, I think from then, I money be, no longer became a rational thing. It was nothing. It's something that I never took for granted again. And unfortunately, I would say that I also uh, became a little bit obsessed with making money. Um, but only, but but with money, it's a two-sided equation, right? Because if you're only focused on making money, like you kind of lose the purpose of it. Like it's a, I guess it for me it meant stability or it meant providing. But as I grew up and I was able to earn more money and uh, go back to feeling more comfortable, that sense of uh, security never came along, and I just relied on money to try to solve my insecurities and it never came and uh it wasn't even like I was spending money I like 
I hate consumerism. I, I try, you know, I this last year, I tried not to spend any money on clothes or anything like that. And I just realized, wow, like I got to work on this, my relationship with money because it's extremely unhealthy and it's based, my feelings are based on what happened to me now almost 20 years ago. So it's been a process to kind of figure out, okay, if money is a feeling, what are some also positive feelings we can add to the mix? Right. And Okay, so you hit on so many different things that I kind of <laughs> want to like backtrack a little bit. So um, the first thing I noticed from your story was how um, much of a genius your parents were um, <laughs> because, you know, you were saying that they had the rental car company and yep. then they're like, wait, we need more people with licenses or more people mm-hmm. that know how to drive these. So let's start a driving school. And so I can see how it could become a monopoly where where, you know, you have people coming to you because they need to learn how to drive. And they're like, oh, now that you know how to drive, let, let's get you in a car. You know what I'm exactly. saying? <laughs> so that is a genius approach. And I just wanted to point that out to the audience because, you know, when you see a need, um, sometimes when you try to solve that need, it creates another need. And so just always be on the lookout for opportunities. Um, and then also, so fast forwarding to when you were like, you had to start working when you were 12. I'm like, wow, like, I don't know what I would do if I had a classroom full of, you know, 15 or so kids, some older than me, some some way younger than me, and I'm trying to teach them all at the same time as a 12-year-old. Now, I already struggle now teaching adults. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but adults are animals. (laughs) (laughs) But could you imagine, um, because like even for instance with this whole coronavirus thing, you know, all the kids had to be homeschooled, um, at least here in America. I don't know about there, but it's like... I struggled and I only have two kids and they are 11 and six. And I, let me tell you what, teachers deserve every bit of money they make and then some because (laughs) and more I'm telling you because it was just ridiculous and I don't know how people do that so I'm just thinking like you as a 12 year old having to deal with those age groups and also older and younger age groups at the same time it just sounds like a lot so I can see how that could be kind of traumatic you know (laughs) yeah but I would also say that it gave me confidence at such Mm -hmm. a young age that I can start anything and I can figure things out as I go which is why I've had seven quote-unquote real jobs I'll say and uh, they've always been in a different industry Mm -hmm. so You know, and I always tell them, like, I can learn anything on the job and then just give me a couple months and then I'll be, you know, and I'll add new ideas from the previous industries that I've been a part of. So I think the adversity during the time and the traumas I've carried as baggage, but on the flip side, the Mm self-confidence and um, the pride and the assurance that no matter what, I can figure things out. Those are also, I think, equally priceless and and, and more positive things to carry around with you. 
Exactly. That's a very good point um, because it's building that confidence so early on. A lot of people don't have that even as adults. So a lot of people don't get that, you know, even in not just corporate America, but all aspects of life. If you don't have the confidence, you're not going to negotiate for that salary or negotiate for that new role or um, when you own your business, negotiate for um you know, your pay or things like that, or even reach out to people. Okay, so now that we know a little bit about your story, let's just get into how money is emotional and money is a feeling because a lot of people um, don't get that aspect of money. And see, I feel like once you master that, then you can finally master your money. So like, how did your upbringing translate to how you handle money today? So I would say I was very bad at it. It was just all I focused on was on one part of the equation, which is money in, right? And counting how much money went in and how much I had in the bank, like very golem, like, you know, it's like my precious, I'm not touching it. Um, but I realized but it, but it was so absurd because I didn't even uh, take track of how much I was spending. And it wasn't like I was spending a lot, but you, you know, these are two important variables in the same side of the coin. Uh, and you need to be, I think, aware of, uh, how much you're spending as much as you're making otherwise. And I think it was because I was afraid I was afraid I was spending too much or I was afraid, I was afraid to analyze and I'm an analytical person, but I, it was just really these, these fears. And then once I got married, my husband and I had completely different styles where he was, he's very rational. He's an engineer. Um, and he, you know, all was always on top of our finances. And I was just like, well, I think you're spending too much. And you'd be like, where like okay that's your feeling but like what is it based on evidence I'm like I don't know but like I just feel like yesterday you talked about something for like a hundred dollars and today you're talking you're trying you want to buy five shoes like it's just too much and it was literally just that feeling versus looking at a spreadsheet and being like oh okay the hundred dollar thing he was talking about was maybe like five months ago and I'm just conflating everything and I'm like all I see are like receipts and him spending money and it turns out actually when he did the math for me turns out that I spent more money than him on most months than he did and I was like oh maybe I don't have a right to yell at you and maybe we really need to come up with a better system so that um, these fears that arise aren't are based on truth and the reality of today not based on my traumas of what happened in my past. And so mm. I think we would develop, I think, a really neat system now um, to, to kind of keep track and keep my emotions at bay. Nice, nice. Now, before we get into that system, because I definitely want to hear all about it, um, I just wanted to point out that it's important to write all of this down as far as your income, your expenses and things like that and keep track like in a budget because what you just showed to the audience is that sometimes you can get caught in a mental state of, you know, it's too much. It's too much. Oh my gosh, we're spending too much. And then meanwhile, he's like, uh, I budgeted for this and we're good. <laughs> like we're, yeah. we're still going to be able to make our bills. Like we're good. <laughs> but if you are, and it also points out that both parties need to be 
involved in budgeting because if you would have seen that ahead of time, um, then you would have been like, oh, okay, I see what he's doing. Like this was already there and we can still pay this and we can do that and blah, blah, blah. Um, otherwise it becomes one party against the other. So you were like, you're spending too much. This is ridiculous. Da, 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 da. And then, <laughs> you know, he's probably recanting back like, well, no, I, you know, budgeted for it. You're the one spending too much. Da, 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 da. But if you don't have that hard evidence, it's like that conversation could get really heated and it can spill over. Um, and a lot of people divorce over things like this. And yep. so it's important to head that off. So what type of system are you all using now? So I would say one is a tactical system and another is a mindset shift. <laughs> so the technical, tactical pieces, like I said, my mentality was always, let's save money, let's save money, spending money is uh, bad like spending just always equals that. But then again, the other side of the equation is, okay, but saving, but saving for what? Because you can save until, you know, you've got all these gold coins in your dungeon, <laughs> but before what? And I'm all about like the intersection of my different worlds. And that's why my book is about the intersection of like business principles and frameworks you learn and applying it to relationships. And in the business world, there's something, uh, and a good business person always asks why, right? Oh, you want to create a podcast uh, because podcasts are cool. Like, but why does it make sense for our business to do a podcast or sponsor a podcast? Why does it, why do, what business objective are you trying to achieve if you are, you know, trying to invest in, in this new software system? And that's the questions that my husband started asking me and I started asking myself of, well, why, why, like, what am I saving money towards? Mm -hmm. And so we got very clear on what our savings goals were. Um, so if it was a future, having a pet, right. And estimating how much it is. Okay. Um, we would create a savings account. And for example, Ally Bank has something really good where it's just one savings account, but it can, you can put targets in there. So let's say we wanted to save 5,000, a year for a dog and 10,000 for three vacations. You can put the money in there, but you can kind of um, divert the money to these smaller pots. And so it made me feel good when we were reaching that. And I was like, oh, okay, we are meeting our savings goals. Okay, maybe it is okay that like we splurge a little bit this month on doing something a little extra. And it gave me clarity so that it wasn't just a nebulous, infinite goal of savings. So that was really, really helpful. Awesome. Awesome. So let's just shout out Ally Bank. I wish they were a sponsor. I'm still working on it, but I You should be a sponsor, them. Ally. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm going to tag them on Twitter. Um, but this is so important. I love Ally. Um, that's actually where I house my savings too. And I love it for that reason, but also I keep my emergency fund there. And mm -hmm. you, the reason I like it, so let me just get on my ally soapbox real quick. Um, a, their interest rates is always more um, than what you'll get at like a brick and mortar bank. And then B, they, it takes a couple days to get your money. And so before you, 
you know, say, oh, I need this money. Like, you really have to think about that thing. Like, do I really need this money? Because it's going to take a couple days for me to get it. Um, so I like that it's held with it, without reach. Like, I can't really reach it really quickly because I feel like that's where a lot of people go wrong. They're like, oh, this is an emergency. And it's not really an emergency. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, a broken nail is not an emergency. Exactly. <laughs> so if I had a broken nail, for instance, I'm not going to go to Ally and pull the money out because what? That's another two or three days. If I can live a two, two or three days with a broken nail, it's obviously not an emergency. So I just wanted to get on that soapbox. Let me hop back off. Um, so, <laughs> so I love you all system. Um, and I love that you all are hitting on the emotional side. Um, I will say, <clears throat> um, well, first, before I get into this, how long have you all been married? Oh, gosh, I really suck at this. Okay, oh, gosh. I think... <laughs> I think we got married <laughs> in 2016. We had three weddings, like one in Korea, one in Italy, and one in Boston. So that's why we have like too many dates to remember. Uh, so I believe it's been uh, four wonderful years together, married, and then we, were, we had dated a year and a half before we got engaged. Gotcha. Okay. So I just wanted to um, make sure, you know, we see the difference before I tell my story, because I just got married in May. And so we're like very fresh <laughs> and I can see um so I'm the money person of course um mm -hmm. so I'm the one wanting to budget and things like that but I also like just saving and not spending I hate spending unless it comes to business um <laughs> you know I spend on business quite a bit but I don't like spending outside of business ventures because we both mm. have quite a few so you know, he, on the other hand, like, actually, we just had this conversation a couple days ago. Um, <clears throat> he was like, well, I want to have some cash just to keep in my pocket. So he just goes to the ATM, pulls out cash. And I'm like, you can't really do that when I'm budgeting because I don't know, like, what you're spending it on, how you're spending it, things like that. Like, if you want it to be part of your fun money, like, we need to make sure we have this conversation ahead of time. And so, like, I have this whole system that I've had for years now and introducing someone else to that same system when they have a different upbringing or you know they're not used to paying attention to their money it is a challenge and so um I just say kudos to you all for figuring it out um we are still in the process of figuring it out. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you know, because like we've started doing family meetings and in those family meetings, it's all of us. So me, him and the kids and we discuss like who needs help with what, what's going on in the household, you know, talking about money, things like that and bringing the kids into the conversation too. Um, I, I feel that's so great, like to educate them early on about, again, the value of money, how to use it. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, because I mean, I, I just think about how I was, how I grew up, like, I was taught kids need to stay in a kid's place. Um, the adults never really talked about money in front of me. Um, you know, if they did talk about money, it was behind closed doors, I'm sure. Because um, I don't, I've never heard them say anything other than my grandpa, because I grew up with my grandparents, other than my grandpa saying, hey, can I have, you know, 
a few dollars, you know, to my grandma. She was like the the treasurer of the family. <laughs> <laughs> and so he would always go to her for, you know, if he wanted some cash for something or money for something. Um, so that's how I grew up. And that I guess that's kind of how I am trying to treat my marriage as well. But not everybody's like that. And so we need to find our own um, groove, so to speak. <laughs> You know, I went to a money seminar, though, and they said that while there might be some conflict between a saver and a spender, Mm -hmm. the real conflict is when both are spenders, right? That's Mm -hmm. when you're in a real crisis. But with relationships, I have this framework that I truly believe in that makes all relationships work. And it is, it's a triangle. If you imagine at the base is a question of, do you love each other, right? Cool. Mm -hmm. Like if you do... Great, but it, it's in and of itself uh, an insufficient criteria to stay with someone. But the second piece where I think money comes in is do you fulfill each other's needs? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's financial, spiritual, physical, and, and, and all of that. And if I have an emotional need that I need to know how much money we have in the bank at all times, mm-hmm. but I suck at being the accountant for the family and my husband is really enjoys doing that, uh, but doesn't want to answer every day. Like, wait, how much do how's the right. stock market today? What's going on? Like that's annoying too. Right. So that's his need that he needs <laughs> some space away from that. Uh, I think, when couples can come together and find a solution. So like for us, our solution is he updates uh, an Excel table, which we call our wealth tracker system. Mm -hmm. And every now and then he'll update it with our latest, you know, IRA account uh, information, different stocks that we hold. And then at the bottom, you know, it it tabulates uh, automatically like how much wealth we have broken down into like liquidity and stocks and other assets that we have. And that's so great because I can access it anytime I want and I can see whatever numbers I want. He highlights the ones in green that he thinks I should look at (laughs) and I I usually do and that, that calms me down. And then he can update it whenever he wants to. So I'm not bugging him, but we're still able to communicate and give each other both what we need. And so whatever that tool looks like for each couple and whatever um, is a pleasure for the person, like if you love doing budgets and your husband lets you do that, that's awesome, you know, and, and then he should give up the control on certain things, but whatever he likes to do, I say, you know, support him in in doing that. But also if there are things that neither of the couple likes to do, like let's say nobody likes to budget, nobody likes to think about where to put uh, the investments. Great. Then I say outsource it, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's no need to force each other to do things you don't want to do. Like spend the extra money and consider an investment in your relationship to outsource things you don't like doing with money. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you hit on that point um, because I have this theory, right? So if it's something that you don't like doing and you're not really good at, that means you need to outsource it. Um, (laughs) you know, if it's something, so it's like a whole quadrant thing that I made up. If it's something that you are good at, but you don't like doing, then you might need to train someone else to do it as well. If it's something that you like doing, but aren't good at, that means you need to learn more. Mm -hmm. And so if it's something that you like doing and you 
are good at, then you need to go full force with it. So that's kind of like my whole quadrant thinking thing. So I feel like it's important to keep the, the open communication. I think that's where that comes in because at the end of the day, how, how are you supposed to know how your significant other feels about the money situation? It's only if you have a conversation. So y'all get talking about money. That's why we're here. <laughs> That's why we're here. It'll save a lot of grief down the road. <laughs> Cause I can tell you like in my marriage, literally day one, actually a couple days before, you know, we started transitioning over to our new system to where all of our money's combined and things like that. And so, you know, I, th- I want to say it was like day two, we had our first like money disagreement, <laughs> but we were able to work through it because, you know, we talked about it. And so just keep that line of communication completely open at all times. So anyway, um, we are going to kind of transition a little bit because I just wanted to hit on this. I said it in your bio, but I think it is so cool. So right now you have the Humans of Treviso Photography Project. So I just wanted to talk about that because my husband's a photographer. I don't really consider myself a photographer, even though last night I learned that I might have a gift. <laughs> like as far as hey hey um so I just think that is so fascinating so could you tell us a little bit about that yeah sure so I moved to Treviso which is a small town of I think 5,000 people within this wall it's like five kilometers circumference and it's a beautiful old walled city known as little Venice uh, because we have canals running through our city and it's 20 minutes away in northeast Italy Beautiful, beautiful town, close to the sea, close to the Dolomites. You really just can't, like, it's, wow. it's idyllic. Um, but it's known as a very conservative town. It's uh, not great on the diversity front. <laughs> and I'm a, you know, Korean-American, <laughs> very extroverted, brash person. And even when I lived in Rome, people were like, be careful. They're very cold and it'll take you years to get to know someone. And I was like, okay, but you don't know who I am because I'm not going to wait five years. I'm probably going to move anyway. So I'm like, let's, how do I make the most of it? How can I start Uh, walking down the street like and saying hi to people and get to know people right like everybody else does here because they've known each other since they were born and they know their grandma's brother's cousin and they just chat on the street and I miss that I wanted that piece of community and on the flip side when I first came here it wasn't that I was shy but I definitely felt other and you know as we're in this time of Black Lives Matter and be creating more inclusive and equitable societies I felt invisible. I felt like judged. I felt like being, and I was stared at and people would say racial like epithets and whatnot and ignorant stuff on on the streets. And I was like, well, you know what? Like for every bad experience I have with these like random strangers and ignorant people, I want, I know that there are beautiful people out here. I know they have beautiful stories. So let me tell the stories of the great people of Treviso. 
and uh, let me make friends in an accelerated way. <laughs> so I was very inspired by the humans of New York, um, which started all of this. I think they really create a movement of, you know, talking to strangers, uh, whether it's on the street or your friends of friends. And, uh, and so I, I just started by um, asking a friend of a friend, hey, would you grab a coffee with me? And would you mind if I interviewed you to get to know your like life story? And so that's what's been happening, just going to people's houses. And now it's great because we, at the end of each interview, we ask that person to nominate the next person. Mm -hmm. So it's become this kind of change. And we're already at a friends of a friends of a friends of a friends, friends story now. Mm -hmm. And my circle has kind of widened. And now I really do like get stopped on the street to say hello to people I know. And it's a beautiful feeling. And the photography is, uh, I personally don't do the photography. I found a friend of a friend <laughs> who apparently <laughs> had the same idea, which is amazing. And so we have a guy who's lived in Treviso all his life. His name is Davide Ronfini and a photographer. Then you have me, the outsider who loves just talking to people and grabbing coffees. And so the two of us just go out there and, and this is just a volunteer fun project that we do and we publish two to three stories a week on Instagram and Facebook. So yeah, having a blast, um, really being, inserting myself into this small conservative town. Nice. I love that idea. I think you've just inspired me because I've, I've always wanted to kind of just interview people in the community. Really, I wanted to interview like homeless people or people mm. that are in need and just get their story because I feel like it's hard to hate someone when you know their story. I love that quote because um, it, it gives you empathy. And yes. so, you know, you may go past someone and, you know, not even see them. And I'm saying that with air quotes um, on the street and you might think, oh, they're probably on drugs or, oh, this, that, the other, or whatever your preconceived notion is um, and not really know their story. So you discount them um, before you even get to know them. And so I wanted to kind of do that. So I might call it, <laughs> Something along the lines of humans of, you know, and of maybe my city or whatever, um, and go about it that way. I love that idea. So if people were interested in either following you or checking out the project or things of that nature, where can they find you? Yeah, so our Humans of Treviso project, we're on Instagram and Facebook, and it's in Italian, but you can uh, see the translations. It's Gente di Treviso, G-E-N-T-E. D-I-T-R-E-V-I-S-O. Uh, and, you know, uh, if you just search that, you, it will show up. And then um, I'm personally not great at social media, but another project that if you want to check out is uh, my podcast. It's called The Serendipity Stories. Uh, stories about when unexpected things happen to ordinary people and, it, and, that and how that moment becomes and transforms their life forever in completely unexpected ways. We have stories about like the first black mayor of a rural town in Oklahoma who mm. became mayor by accident uh, or a girl who gets hit by a bus in South Africa and how that made her want to become a Hollywood actress. And she does it, which is amazing. Mm. Or a friend of mine who uh, unfortunately was uh, 
about to commit suicide and jump out of a window Mm. and how she was saved at the last minute and what that meant for her life. So we have some really gripping, great stories. And that's at serendipitystories.podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Esau, for being on the show with me and joining me all the way from Italy. I'm still excited about that. (laughs) Um, But I hope you had a good time. We talked about a lot and I appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me and everyone save money, but for a reason. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Hashtag. (laughs) All right. Well, you have a good one. (laughs) Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Money Talk with Tiff podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to moneytalkwitht.com. And while you're there, why not sign up for our newsletter so you'll never miss an episode. Talk to you soon.